So this is Greatest Story Ever Retold, week seven, uh, where we're actually going to just jump right back into last week's conversation that we began. Um, But before we do, Aaron, would you mind giving a recap of this week's message? So this week in The Greatest Story Ever Retold, what we're talking about is understanding how Jesus spoke into a collectivist culture. Everything Jesus spoke about was geared towards bringing us together as a family, as a community. In America, it's hard for us really to understand some of the directions of Jesus' teaching because we are so individualistic. We think it's about me, my relationship with Jesus. But Jesus saves us to put us into God's family. And so when Jesus teaches or when Paul speaks or really into the New Testament writers speak, it's into this culture that saw things as a community, uh, as not when you think of communism, but as a community of people who are drawn together under God as a family. And I think only when we understand that will we really understand all the scriptures. So the retold narrative is not in the American individualistic mindset, but in that collectivist idea of how we come together as a people and are meant to live. So the second one is about why we live as a family and why, why it's important to understand this and come to a family aspect of understanding the body of Christ. Because we can help one another to see what is true and real by living in family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the great things about in the message was God used the culture. You know, when, they, when the culture went to shame, God used it to bring about repentance. Right. And, and that makes makes sense there. How does he do that in our individualistic culture? What does he use in, in the way that our culture operates to bring about his glory and, and, and repentance? I, I think that when God works in us, a lot of time it is a work in our hearts because we are taught to be a people who listen to what God is saying to you. Listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think that enables us as a culture to be, if, I mean, if we're contrite, to be more open to what God is saying to us directly, and we can probably hear God in a more direct manner than maybe someone in a collectivist culture. I agree with that. And, and so I look, I look for an internal witness. I expect the Holy Spirit to convict Can you. I get a witness? <laughs> and I also expect to uh, the scriptures and through messages. You know, when I attend a service and there's a message preached, I expect to hear and the Holy Spirit to use that to speak to my heart and when I read the scriptures. Those are the three dominant ways that I am changed and transformed. I'm probably more leery in community because there's such a diversity of people in terms of their backgrounds, spectrums, beliefs, and, and you never know what you're going to get for counsel. And that's sometimes a little, you take it with a grain of salt. And so most of the time it's a very individualistic feeling. I agree. I mean, I, I feel that myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I look for someone I trust and speaking in a message that the Holy Spirit will use that. I trust the scriptures. I trust you, therefore I will listen to you. That's the, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. If we don't trust people, we won't listen to mm-hmm. them. Think about even uh, gospel community notes night attendance. Well, that's, what that's what I'm speaking to. Yeah. Is, well, no, because because it's like, how do I feel tonight? I don't feel like going. Oh, I'm oh, busy. Right, right. I'm this. I'm that. Right? There, there's all these things. Yeah, and yet. If we were more of a community like God, I think, ultimately intends for us to be, we would see the, it doesn't matter how I feel right now. I go. I go. Because my community's there, and we learn how to do life together. Yeah. Well, I tell people most nights, especially when I was working, I didn't feel like going. Mm-hmm. I was tired. I didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. 
but I went and I was always energized in going. Not that it was a great night, not that I got something out of it, but I was energized by being with the people that right. I felt comfortable with and loved and trusted. Mm -hmm. And so you went, you know, knowing that that usually is the end result. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so community, we, we try to form gospel communities here. They, they, it's difficult, right? As you said during it's a lot of work. Lent, it's messy. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of work and, and there's a lot of, uh, been a lot of frustrations in terms of people not feeling like we can live up to, you know, maybe a vision or bar that we set. Um, but for you guys, how has a community helped or hurt in in your understanding and walk with with God? Or well, again, being in community with a group of people, there's the consistency that comes in relationships that you begin to trust them. You begin to believe that they have my back, or and you have their back. That they love you. They care about you, and it's not because of something they're getting out of it, other than we've developed a relationship over time and over experiences together and, and having weathered some storms of individual or even collectively. Mm -hmm. And so there's some health that comes out of that when we do that together. There's some strengthening that comes in community. Talking about, I, I have seen in gospel community when people are just able to speak about what's going on in their hearts and lives they they start to change it's it's that they and th there are people that i know right now who never would have seen themselves as part of a gospel community and now they look at it and and they miss it when when they don't meet they they seek it out they want to be part of it because of how it has changed them now is there a long way to go there's always a long way to go um when you when you hear shame what what is that what does that trigger for you uh, Memories-wise, or... Yeah, well, I mean, there's all kinds of shame incidences in my life, but shame usually means something I'm embarrassed over and I want to hide. Mm. Don't want to... Um, don't want people to know. Do you feel like shame changes your identity? Well, that's what it speaks to. Mm. I'm not enough. Or, um, yeah, usually, I'm, you're not enough. There's something wrong with me more so than you. My sin's worse than your sin. Those are the kinds of voices that shame takes well, on. Is. I know, like I said, <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> um, and I think for, in general, I mean, I'll start with some easy stuff. I mean, shame has to do a lot with my decisions that I've made in mm -hmm. life. You know, like I look at my life now, and I think I should be in a lot better financial shape than I am. So that means I made poor decisions. I've always worked, always had a good job, blah 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 blah. And I, I would have thought I'd have been in a different spot, or could have been, should have been in a different spot than I am now. So. I feel embarrassed sometimes in talking to people about you know being retired and where we're at, and it'll be a, it's a you know a frugal retirement, but nevertheless I'm glad to be retired. But I feel you know shame sometimes, mm -hmm. you know especially in our culture it's stuff material oriented and you know and I have appetites and desires and my want to meter goes off the pegs itself sometimes you know so yeah I hear like uh, fast cars from Easter <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then to the decisions of my first marriage mm -hmm. and so uh, again my ex-wife um, gosh the story is you know she she's she was bisexual and I knew that before I got married she still chose to get married she was incredibly broken but I was as much and didn't even realize my own brokenness mm -hmm. I knew she was broken but did not realize the depth of my brokenness from a childhood of abuse and brokenness of family and so on. And so I made a decision, got married, and it was horrible. Horrible, you know, it's, that's a 60,000-foot uh, word because it was, well, obviously there was good times. I had two kids, and 
uh, amazing and very much a part of my life. But, you know, that decision, the end result was a failed marriage, are points of shame. And then for a long time, I felt protective of my kids with her story. The fact that, you know, she was bisexual, um, that she ended up leaving me for a woman. So those are embarrassing things. It's like, well, what's wrong with me? I didn't measure up. You know, all those, again, the shame speaks to you. It tries to convince you of your identity, of not being enough, of being something wrong with you, of not measuring. And, and then, uh, you know, I wanted to protect them when they were young from that story. So I would never talk about it. And then as I got older, it's like, well, I don't want to talk about it either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still for myself, I still feel embarrassed about it. You know, I would not readily say, oh, yeah, my ex-wife, she's bisexual and left before another woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Who, who did? You know, it's like, you know, and then uh, married to Deb, which has been a godsend of healing and God's uh, graciousness to me. She has a pretty wild story, you know, brokenness and uh, not, not so much brokenness, a story of just uh, where the vandalizing of shalom impacted her life and it's like yeah she chose to marry her still you know and, and so there's a point of when she tells her story I, I, I kind of you know feel a little bit of shame it's like oh, I chose to marry her you know mm-hmm. so it's it's weird so decisions mm-hmm. you know have certainly have been things that I have caused a sense of shame that you know my choices show that I'm not enough that I don't measure up there's something wrong with how I make decisions and choices. So, so again, shame creates a place of hiding, right? a place where we don't live out who we are, where we have fallen down, where we have made poor choices sometimes. God, in his amazingness and mercy, uses all that stuff for his good, for his glory, and for my good. He, he shapes and transforms me. When he uses all that stuff, all those choices, the good ones and the bad ones, and the shame, even, he uses for my benefit of healing and transformation. Hmm. So it's, it's really, that just continues to stun me and amaze me how that happens. Well, what does that journey look like? I, obviously, it's long yeah. and incremental, I think you said <laughs> earlier. Um, and, and it's God's work. It's a spirit's work. But, but what does that journey look like of, of coming from that place of living in the identity and that shame? And not, not, I, I'm not going to say anything to a point where... You don't do it as much. You don't live in that, you know, right. you don't let that speak those lies into you. And now you're on an Elements talk show uh, sharing it. Like what? Watched by millions. Well, no, but enough. <laughs> Royalties? But, but by people that you sit next Rub to on Sunday mornings. Yeah. Right. So it's actually probably more difficult to share. Uh, so what, what does that process look like? How, how, what did God do? Um, wow. That's... It began with my brokenness and almost destroying my second marriage. Mm. Um, not that Deb would have ever left. I don't think she has it in her. She's that committed and that faithful. But I was just a wreck. And it brought me to a place of just um, kind of just throwing my hands up. It's like, and almost, and, and the Lord, in a very profound way, spoke to me. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Don't be entangled again and with the yoke of slavery my paraphrase and sin was my yoke of slavery and, and because I was trying on my own to get free mm. and I couldn't you know, and I almost and this is one of those Harmon's heresies okay I feel like Tommy should write a book okay <laughs> called Harmon's heresy <laughs> yes <laughs> I, 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 I believe the Lord said I'd rather you be licentious than self-righteous because that's what hiding takes you to 
Not that he would rather have you actually be there. Right, but, but it spoke a volume to me, and right. it took a weight off my shoulder of me trying to be self-righteous. I can't. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right. And again, so, you know, I, I would never condone, just say that God wants one more than the other, right. but it just spoke a volume in, in, in a moment that freed my heart to say, okay, I'm not worried about my sin. I struggle mm-hmm. with this thing. I'm going to continue to struggle with this thing. But God's got me. And that changed everything. It's just been amazing to begin to experience God's love, His mercy, His grace, as I begin to grow in understanding what those actually meant. You know? And that, that was a part of that journey was to understand what grace really was. You know, what mercy, what it felt like to get God's mercy when I didn't deserve it. You know? And then to know that He had my back and that really He was more committed than I am to this idea of sanctification and maturity. And it's, and it's just a like I said, it just changed my life in a moment that took years to begin to even manifest. For the first year, I mean, Deb thought, Deb thought I was nuts because, you know, Harvard's Harris, she said, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, get, I quit caring about my sin. You mm-hmm. know, the particular sin of, fan, of a life of fantasy and a life of, of, of reclusion when things didn't go right. I would hide, hide in a world of fantasy of relationships that worked right, relationships where I was loved and cared for or felt loved and cared mm-hmm. for. Did you ever have a Nathan? Pardon? Did you ever have a Nathan that just kind of showed up in your life? And Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Would you listen to a Nathan if he showed up? I don't think so. I didn't have that kind of trust. So, I mean, you know, when I was in that pro- early process, I just, when I said I quit worrying about my sin, I mean, it, it's like it broke the back of the enemy, though. And, mm-hmm. and within days, you know, I mean, does that did make my fantasy life quit? No, but it didn't have the lure. It didn't have the hook. It, it, it. What, what, I could live in a fantasy life for you know weeks. You know, I mean, I still carried on life. I worked hard. I raised kids, and it was home. But I, I just had this backstory going on all the time. Mm-hmm. And in, in a matter of days, it just began to quickly diminish, or it was easier to get out of the story. Realize I don't, this, I don't want to live here. You know, and then coming to understand who God is was really what what kicked that off. We didn't understand His faithfulness, mm-hmm. His love. You know, that He's good and that He uses these things to uh, accomplish his ends and you know, mm-hmm. really begin to change my life. Do you, do you think that process is one of, the, one of the reasons why you are a part of redemption groups and lead that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I care. I have a, a soft spot, so to speak, in my heart for the brokenness and the snares that people find themselves in. You know, God truly has my back. He's committed to my growth and my maturity. He loves me in spite of who I am. For anybody who may not know, would you just real briefly explain Redemption Groups and maybe your hope for that? Yeah. Uh, Redemption Groups are like a 10-week process. I don't want to say it's a program or a Bible study. We do do the Bible study through the book of Exodus, though. But it's a 10-week process of what we would say is biblical counseling in a small group setting. We meet together collectively for some teaching and some instruction. Then we break up into... Uh, uh, gender-specific groups. So, you know, men and women meet together, small groups, probably no more than uh, eight, and that's counting two to three um, counselors or co-leaders, as we call them. And in that process, we use the book of Exodus, God's getting his people delivered from slavery as a vehicle to look at how God wants to still deliver our lives and how their continued failure and brokenness through that whole process didn't stymie or stop God from getting them free. Mm. And 
much our story. Right. Our failure doesn't keep God uh, from doing what He wants to do. When it goes back to when we we did a talking about with Corey for Easter, and it's Aaron said, you know, everyone has a story. And I think in this, everyone has sin and everyone has brokenness. Yeah. So Redemption Group isn't just for those who wife left, left the, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of brokenness oh, yeah. um, that, that I think Redemption Group speak into. And with that, uh, if you have more information, would like more information on Redemption Groups or if there's something that you resonate with in, in that shame and, and the lies, uh, whatever it is, whatever your story is, and would like to talk to somebody or like to maybe possibly go through a Redemption Group, uh, if and when we can ever have them again, um, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, email uh, info at ourelement.org and uh, we'll get you connected with Mike or Deb and uh, try to have someone call and reach out and talk to you through uh, understanding shame better and, and growth and understanding the gospel and truth uh, and grace. And I uh, hope to see you next week. like 20 nuggets <laughs> good luck <laughs> yeah um 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 um